1: My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all around the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. And boy, do I have a wonderful show lined up for you guys this week. We've got Diane Ray, movie star Diane Ray <laughs> on today, and uh, I think you're going to really enjoy hearing about Diane's story and about all the amazing people she's worked with the reason why I wanted to have her on is because she's been so instrumental in bringing spirituality to the masses and you'll see why as we chat over the next hour and i'm interested to hear your story Diane i know all my listeners will be as well and you are just such a delight that i think uh i think everybody's going to have a ball well, thank you for having
2: me. Um, I have to say, I'm, I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little freaked out on Zoom because I'm not used to video, and and so it's if I feel like oh I should hide you know hide my uh, face
0: because no,
2: well, yeah, radio got... is such an easier medium I guess I'm so I'm worried about I'm very casual today I'm just wearing my sweatshirt it's kind of a. A cold day in San Diego although I can't complain with of the course. rest of the country baby know. <laughs> <Boo-hoo>, right
1: absolutely <laughs> well I've got my red on because it's National Heart Day today. I love that. Well, my red's baby. my favorite color so I've got red on to you know use the the colors of the Heart Association all right so here's here's Diane's intro Diane Ray has been working in radio broadcasting for over 30 years, most of it spent in the Miami market with stops in Austin and San Diego. During that time, Diane has assumed many roles, including on-air talent, writer, director, and producer, among other things. For the past decade, Diane's been working in digital media and online broadcasting as the network radio manager slash producer at Hay House Radio and as the director of programming for Unity Online Radio since 2017. In August of 2018, Diane launched her podcast, Be Present the Diane Ray Show with Unity Online Radio. And I'm honored to say I have been a guest on Diane's show not once, but twice. So Diane, welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm so delighted that you could join us this week and, and make time. By the way, you know, I only do this a few times a year, like maybe three or four times a year, because as you know, my show's a call-in show. Yes. And and I'm traveling this week, and so we're pre-recording so that we'll have this show to play. So this only happens very rarely each year.
2: Well, so. thank you for having me. I feel, uh, I feel honored. <laughs> wow.
1: I hope I can share some good
2: stories. I'm sure you will.
1: So let's get right into it. Um, what a varied broadcasting career you've had, my girl. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh, in lots of genres.
0: <laughs> yes. And
1: from what I when I was reading up on you, I got classic rock, news radio, NPR, and what I call woo-woo or spirituality. So I love tell the us woo. I do too. Tell us how you got into the radio business and what attracted you to it in the first place.
2: Well, I've always loved music and that was, I guess, the, the big attraction. But I'll, I'll tell you the kind of the the genesis, which is kind of funny, was in in high school. I worked for a big record store chain called Peaches Records, mm-hmm. and uh, every night we would say, "Attention, Peaches shoppers, bring your purchases to the front counter. The store is closing." So I would do this every night, and people would say, "Oh, you have a great voice. You, you should do something with it." And I'm like, "Hmm, okay. Well, that kind of planted the seed." and at the time, as as I was graduating high school and um, going into my first year of college, uh, kind of this weird shift happened where I was interested in journalism and newspaper. And, you know, that kind of is kind of where I thought I would go. And then in my local hometown, I grew up in Miami, Fort Lauderdale. There was a legendary rock station there called WSHE. She's only rock and roll. And uh, they had an amateur hour. And so at the urging of my Peaches friends... They said you should do this amateur hour on WSHE and I did and and I kind of got the bug. <laughs> so and my journalism career a took a it took a dive and and I started uh you know trying to forge my way in radio.
1: Did you did they hire you after the amateur hour?
2: No. <laughs> no, they didn't, uh unfortunately. But what what kind of was uh the seed that was planted? So what I did was while I was still at Peaches Records. I went to volunteer, so I did this for free, at a community radio station in Miami called WDNA. That was the call letters. And it was in a big warehouse off of Bird Road in Miami, and I would truck in there with my little crate of records, and they said, can you do a jazz show? I'm like, sure, I'll do jazz, not knowing anything about jazz. But luckily, I worked at the record store, so I got all these records for free. And that's kind of how it started. And I started doing this show, and I did Drive Time Jazz with Diane, and just playing whatever stuff people gave me. And from there, I kind of got my foot in the door, running the board at a real station um, in Miami called Love ninety four at the time. And that was kind of how I got my foot in the door through so the on back the jazz,
1: door. <laughs> On the jazz, was it Miles Davis jazz, or was it? It was, was everything. Was it, it was jazz, or.
2: Well, it was Miles Davis. It was like whatever stuff that the record reps would come in. Peach's records. They go, "Oh, you're doing a radio show here. Take this." So it kind of forced me to listen to a, a lot of music that I never would have listened to previously, and I I really began to love jazz. Um, and then at Love ninety four, it was you know smooth jazz like David Sanborn and stuff like that. So that's how I kind of um, first got on the air and learned how to run the board and and kind of learned the radio biz. And then eventually I did work for WSHE, uh, the station that I did that amateur hour on. And that was a rock station at the time. So, yeah, I did jazz, uh, classic rock. Um, I guess you would call WSHE at the time like a regular kind of headbanging rock station. And, you know, that was through the uh, early 90s, um, continu- you know, continuing on. <laughs> but it was uh-huh. fun. It was Radio was fun then. Um, I got to
1: tell you, I went to a Miles Davis concert. Gosh, in in the eighties, yeah, think, early nineties, maybe. And it was interesting in guy, right? It was the most bizarre concert I had <laughs> ever been to in my whole life because he played. The music was great, but he played with his back to the audience the whole time. Yes, I mean, this guy had zero. Uh, Rapport with the audience. He he. Obviously, what I equated him to, kind of like you know, one of those absent-minded professors that's just so focused on their own little world. Yes. Oh my gosh, it was bizarre. The music was great, but I had a tough time with the lack of of uh interaction with the audience
2: yeah he was he was an interesting guy I was going to ask you if he even turned around to face the audience because I had the same experience the one time I got to see Miles Davis which I'm glad that I did get to see him in concert yeah
1: Um, what an icon in the business but I I wouldn't go to one of his (laughs) concerts again you know I've heard this I've heard that about Bob Dylan too he doesn't um interact a lot I would imagine that so okay good all right I've read that in addition to your on air roles, you've done everything from editing, writing scripts for shows, managing the taping of programs, to implementing feeds from nationally syndicated programs like NPR. Yes, was there a catalyst that led you to pursue the more managerial slash technical side of the business, or did that just develop organically? What was that transition and and how did that
2: come about well that that i guess would uh kind of develop organically because like over the years um, you know I would really do whatever I could do at a radio station to get my foot in the door, you know, Oh, you, you need, you need to write a spot. Okay. I'll, I'll learn, I'll do that. You know, and I would try to do it. And luckily I had a, a pretty good grasp of, you know, with going to school and, and eventually in and like originally starting in journalism, I could write, you know, but I always call myself a meat and potatoes writer, not like a poet or prose writer, you know, I could crank out commercials and that kind of thing. Um, so I just really learned everything I could in every situation that I was in and, When I got to, then kind of fast forward, when I got to Hay House Radio, they were just launching their online radio platform at the time, and so really everything I had learned over the years and all my years of working in different radio stations, everything kind of came into play at Hay House Radio because I wrote all the spots, I I edited a lot of stuff, you know, I taught myself how to edit on Audacity, Um, I, I learned how to edit content I put together radio shows. So really everything that I did in commercial radio up to that point, when we were putting everything together at Hay House radio kind of came into play. So yeah, I would, I did everything. (laughs) I mean, I had help. I don't want to make it. I definitely don't want to make it sound like it was a one man band. It certainly wasn't. I mean, at Hay House, I had amazing engineers and I, I miss those guys, uh, you know, terribly. They were, they were incredible to work with. And I have a, a great team of, uh, I have two engineers at Unity that helped me as well. But yeah, that was kind of where everything, you know, for the, the 11 years I was at Hay House, I just did everything that, that we needed, that needed to be done.
1: Well, and that's a classic example, I think, of people getting jobs and they say, yeah, you can do that, right? And you're like, yeah. And then you, you think to yourself, okay, I'll figure it out once I get in there.
2: Right, right. Fake it till you make it. um, Sometimes is the way to go or the way it works. You just kind of get thrown something and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And you walk out of the meeting like, oh, I don't know how to do that. But you, but you learn and you figure it out and, and it comes together. Right. Well, great lead in for my next question, which is,
1: I'm assuming when you first went to work at Hay House, you just said it was 11 years ago, the whole online radio concept was fairly new. Yes. And did you have any trepidations about jumping into uncharted waters? And if so, what convinced you to give it a try? I always say, we women have golden ovaries and we take, when we (laughs) take risks, you know, they talk about brass balls, that guy had brass balls, boy, he took all these risks. Well, you know. The equivalent for women is golden ovaries, and so I love I'm that. sure it took a lot of golden ovary energy for you to to decide. I may steal to that, Julie. There. You are more than welcome to use it. I've I love used that it for decades. Yeah,
2: um, that's so funny. Um, so I remember this distinctly. So coming from you know the radio, my radio career years, you know I had done on air. I was I was a jock, and, you know DJ, and all of that, and you know so I had. I had done that and I was familiar with that world. But like you were saying, I didn't know what was going on with online radio. And I was especially kind of nervous about talk radio because I had never really done that format. And I remember talking to a friend of mine. First of all, all of my radio colleagues at the time over a decade ago, they're like, what are you doing? It's career suicide. No one's listening to radio online you know, get a gig at another station, that kind of thing. And I'm like, no, I really think this is where things are going. So I took that leap, you know, believing that that was really the way to go and then look at kind of fast forward where we are now. Um, and I remember so talking, what year was this? Uh, I started it at Hay House in 2005. Okay. Long time ago. So I'm, years I, ago, I yeah. it doesn't seem like it, but it is now that I, I, I think about it in that context. Um, And I talked to my old, my old friend and he had worked in talk radio and his name was John. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. John Ford. I was trying to remember his last name. I said, John, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do talk radio. I'm freaking out. And he goes, Oh, radio's radio. You can do this. He goes, just think of the callers as records. I'm like, (laughs) Oh, you know, and like, once I made that connection in my head, like Right, like what what you would do in planning. Well, we're going to play this new song here, and then play a familiar song after that. You know, just it, it, I was able to kind of make that connection. I'm like, oh, right, the, the callers are are the songs or the records. So that I remember, I remember making that like little connection in my head. And then I thought, you're right. You know, radio, I can do it. It's you know, it's a good a good story. If some if someone's saying something interesting, if they're learning something, they're going to stick around. So it uh <laughs> it made sense after that so expand on the colors
1: are like records I'm not making that connection
2: the callers are like records yeah well What's in music mean? well in music radio like you would schedule the songs to benefit the station like you would schedule a hit song at certain times you would schedule a new artist to play in between two familiar artists so people wouldn't punch out like there was kind of a a logic and a science to how you would do it. You know, you would play certain songs in drive time or when it was the busier time when you had the higher traffic. Um, So to me, to think about callers as records, it's like, okay, well I'm doing a show and then I want to enhance the show with a song or a caller. Like rather than just take any caller as, you know, throwing it out there, you would, you would want to have the caller and you screen it and you go, okay, well that's, that fits with what we're talking about, so I want that caller, not the other one. Like it, it made it made sense to me from like a music scheduling point of view, mm-hmm. which I guess he knew that would that would resonate with me. Like that would I would understand it. So most of us Did that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's making me think of, of is most of us have heard Delilah, right you know that show that she does at night, and it's all these forlorn, lovesick people oh, calling yeah. in and they want to show they want a record for their you know boyfriend that's wherever. So is that what she does? Do you think is that yes. part of her that's all her strategy that she's picking people and she's got songs lined up ahead of time that will correlate with whatever Exactly. The oh yeah, it's is? all
2: planned out. She is all planned out to the to the T. I I guarantee it. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. So, but she does a good job of making you
1: think. Okay, what song can we play to, you know, help you with your
2: love torn heart and your life, your romantic life that's a mess right now? And it's yeah, to enhance that or or to make uh, to tell the story to make it more compelling. You know, she'll plan it out, and I'm sure she's screened the caller and the story and picked the most heart tugging thing she could find. And yeah, it's all very produced and planned. So, it's don't stop thinking about tomorrow, right?
1: It's <laughs> mm-hmm. <Exactly. laughs> that person who's having a, a, a romantic loss at the time. Okay. All right. So, it seems like the Hay House business model was and still is to primarily promote Hay House authors and yes. to sell books while at the same time informing listeners who pay an annual fee to access the content. You know, mm-hmm. brilliant from a business standpoint, really. Yes from a marketing standpoint. So obviously this strategy has been successful for them. And my question, I guess, is, is that model being emulated by other entities and does it still work after 15 years of that model or or do you see it changing?
2: That it, it, That's an interesting question because it's something that I really considered when I took over the the Unity position and all and also the the fact that Unity is a nonprofit organization and a 501c3, it needed a different approach than um than the Hay House Radio model, where you're right, their model is they're selling things. It's a business. Um, so it, it's kind of a two different um objectives, I guess, in a way. It's a different, you know, Hay House is definitely a business. And it was always amazed me that people thought otherwise, like they thought, well, you should give all this stuff away for free. And I'm like, well, these people have to make a living too, you know. So, um, but I guess really to answer the question, what I see that's different is, so like uh, 11, 12 years ago, at the beginning with Hay House Radio, you know, the subscription model was still pretty new. Um, I think that that's changing now. I think people have kind of subscription fatigue. How many things are you going to pay for? I already pay for Netflix, Costco, um, you know, what, whatever other subscriptions that you have. I mean, how many things do you really want to pay for? So that's where you kind of look at some of the other models, like, uh, a lot of podcasters and we can talk about that too, because that's really been exploding, um, I just, my next questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just wonder where the, the thing I think is interesting. People don't want to pay for what they think they should get for free. Like you're used to turning on the radio and, and hearing talk shows and things like that and not having to pay for it, but you'll sit through advertising. Right. So I'm seeing the podcast model where, you know, advertisers are seeing the growth and how it's exploding. And they're saying, hey, this is a place where I want to put my stuff, you know, where I can reach a very specific targeted audience for what I'm selling and put it and put it in a podcast. So there's a lot of growth in that area. There's a lot of kind of, of money um, floating around there. Um, and then there's also some people that are doing the, the Patreon model where, hey, if you like what I'm doing, give me some money and, and help me continue to do it. So, I think there's going to be a lot more growth in that area as well. I think now the big uh, advertising companies and big media companies are really looking at podcasting and what 's happening. Um, you know i Heart media's uh, which was Claire Channel, a uh, huge owner of radio stations, making big investments into the podcast world.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know more and more people are are listening to podcasts it 's still kind of in its infancy mm-hmm. uh, but really growing so it's it's like the wild west and and for me with unity. And being an old radio person, on the one hand, I still see the value of the connection that you can make with a live radio show and people calling in and interacting with hosts and making that relationship, you know? And I saw that with like the the eight years I worked with Dr. Dyer, people that called his show. I still get emails from people, you know, I remember Wayne told me to write my book and I did and it changed my life. And so I feel that's really valuable, um, you know, but then on the other hand, I see people are consuming media differently. You know, not so many people are able to be in a place at a certain time to make a phone call or interact. They want to get the material on demand. You know, they want to get the shows. Like, I don't listen or I don't watch live television. I DVR everything or, you know you know what I mean? So it's interesting to see what's going to happen. It's I think it's kind of a balance. You know, I still see... Uh, radio and and hosts that can support engagement and people like calling in. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, psychics and intuitives and mediums that people love to have that interaction and get readings and that kind of thing. And that's great. And then there's also, if you have really engaging, great, compelling content and, and you don't want to do it live and you want to just produce a podcast, that that's really valuable too. So like, honestly, I mean, I've been to conventions and things and nobody knows what's going to happen. There's no there's no set thing you know so i'm i'm doing both
1: <laughs> it's interesting a couple of thoughts uh, i hear from people who listen to podcasts that get annoyed when there are commercials on mm-hmm. the podcast mm-hmm. and i know some some pod- podcasters will will put them all up front or they'll put them all at the end and and I think what I hear people say is that I just fast forward through the commercials. It's like your DVR. I don't, right. I don't want to watch them, and I do the same thing. I, now, the Super Bowl was last weekend. I watched the commercials because that's all that's always fun during the Super Bowl to see what the commercials are. But I think that's fun. The other thing that's interesting to me, I was on Coast to Coast, which is a nighttime for those of you listening mm-hmm. or watching that. Uh, Aren't familiar with coast to coast? It's a nighttime radio show that just has this amazingly huge following globally. I I don't even know what their audience is. You may know,
2: but yeah, George Nori. He's been around for a while and very successful,
1: long time, and one of the highest. And it's an iHeart show. Uh, To your point, you mentioned that earlier, and and it's a talk show. And oh my gosh, those people are just rabid. That that call into that show, they just, you know, they're they're opinionated. They get fired up about stuff. He's a master at stirring up the stuff, and uh, you know, it was just really an interesting. I was on for, I think it was for three hours out of the four, and they the emails that I got from people. Some of them were snarky, quite frankly. And so I had a girlfriend say, well, how did you respond to those? And I said, it was really easy. Delete. Right. (laughs) I'm not going to respond to that. If you're going to be polite and you have a valid question, I'm going to respond. But if you're going to be nasty about it, I'm not swimming in that. I'm I'm not interested. So I think it's going to be interesting to your point to see how it evolves and um, to see what happens. So how did you get to Hay House? How did that all happen and how did you have the golden ovary courage to to make that leap from regular radio cuz I assume you were living in Florida at the time and then you moved to
2: San Diego? Uh yeah, well what so there was a couple of mo- there was a, some moving around which happens a lot in radio but um at the time I was here in San Diego and I was working for KPBS here in town which is the local NPR affiliate. And I was doing um, just on air on the radio, you know, I came from rock radio, and then I started doing support for KPBS comes from listeners like you, and the blah, blah, blah foundation, you know, so it was a big shift from what I was doing before to, um, you know, doing that presentation. But I mean, what I learned a lot uh, in in working at that NPR station at KPBS was, you know, you had to get in and out at a certain time, you had to connect with that NPR feed at 3330 to the second. There's no blah, blah, blah after that, or they're going to cut you off. You know, I mean, every, you had to learn to be on time. Everything was scheduled. Things had to be read at a certain time. So it, it taught you that um, discipline, you know, you had to do that. But anyway, I'm, I'm at KPBS and I'm thinking, oh, you know, my career's over. Here I am reading these boring funders this sucks. You know, I was feeling sorry for myself. And I would look online and I saw there was an ad that said, radio producer, Hay House Radio. And I perked up, I'm like, what is this? You know, and I was familiar with Louise Hay, because I had that self-help section on my bookshelf. So I had Wayne on there and Louise and Barbara DeAngelis and, you know, loving the wrong guy or whatever. I mean, I, I loved reading all of that kind of stuff. So I explored what was what it was. I'm like, what's going on? And So I badgered them and, and it was perfect timing because they were just launching the online radio network. So I was able to kind of step in. I'm like, well, I have radio experience because no one there had really had quote radio experience at the time. I wonder if very many people applied for the job. I don't know. Maybe (laughs) that would be interesting because it was so
1: out of the box. It was so such a new adventure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. It definitely piqued my interest because I thought, Oh, online radio, what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And um, the woman that had launched it was running at the time, her name is Summer McStravick, McStravick. And uh, she's a teacher now in her own right. And she does online seminars and courses and all this. And so she brought me in and that was kind of the beginning. And that was right when they were just launching the whole format. They had just built the studios And we're getting shows on the air and I have to give, you know, Reed Tracy, the uh, he had the foresight to see, you know, what it could be. Um, But then even now, so now recently, they just wrapped up their live radio presentation and they're just producing podcasts. So now things are moving and evolving in a different way.
1: Right. Well, my buddy, Chris Northrup, isn't even doing a show anymore. Yeah. She's, she's just stopped. She said, I did it for 10 years and I don't want to do it anymore. I like, well, that works. Yeah. Whatever works for you.
2: I mean, so. I get, you know, it's a lot of work and people, I've seen people will go into it. Oh, I want to do a podcast or, you know, oh, I can be a host. And not that you can't learn it or, or you couldn't do it, but people... You know, when I think when they see that it is really a lot of work, then sometimes people will just say, forget it. Like,
1: it is a lot of work. Done. I, I can tell you, even with my call-in show, there's a lot of work that goes into that before mm-hmm. and after. And writing my blog, I mean, I spend a couple of hours a week doing that. Putting that together, doing the research, doing stuff like that, in addition to all the other stuff I do. So I can attest to that, that that is true. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, that it, it is work. And and I would think, well, like for this, I prepared questions and and there's a lot of thought and energy that goes into it. Right. Okay. Let's see what I got next for you. Uh, Okay. So I've got, oh, back to the question about are there other entities that have emulated the Hay House model? I think of Glenn Beck and some of those guys that are doing the subscription model and they are making a fortune doing that in talk radio politically. Yes. The political genre, obviously, but are there other entities that you can think of that have been successful. It seems to me like Hay House really stands out in the bunch.
2: I think there might be individual hosts that have built up their crowd, you know, uh, up to a point that they're able to make a living, you know, and and kind of sustain that. Um, it, I think it's interesting where now, like I remember back, like you know, when I started in radio, even in the very beginning when I was I was answering the request lines. Um, at y 100, this big top forty in Miami, I was nineteen years old and 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 at that time, it seemed the strategy was let 's just get as many people you know cast the net, get as many people as you can that 's it. we want to be number one, we want to rule the world, but now it's like I think people are trying to find their crowd and and get their their niche you know so it's more like super serving those people that are going to be into you and not worrying about casting the net and getting everybody else because they don't care anyway. You know what I mean? Like you have to kind of serve the people that you know are are really going to be into you and bring more of those people in than try to please everybody. So I think that's kind of a big difference, at least from then until now. Have
1: you ever heard of Cozy Earth Bedding? It's your ultimate luxury escape. Cozy Earth sheets are temperature regulating and incredibly soft, and they even have a 10-year warranty. That's cozy and use code Julie for a 35% discount. Upgrade your sleep with Cozy Earth Bedding. I love them and so will you. I agree. There's a, a, a psychol- psychiatrist who's got so much alphabet soup at the end of her name named Kelly Brogan. Do you know Kelly or know of her perhaps? I've heard of the name. And she said to me a couple of years ago, because she has a lot of the Ivy League degrees and worked at trying to get her, what she had found in her practice and the research that she had done that went against typical psychiatric methods of treating patients. And she said to me something really profound, and that was, don't try and convince people of what you do, because the people that are attracted to you are going to find you. And it's a total waste of time, to your point,
2: mm-hmm. to
1: try and convince, you know, academia or somebody that medical intuition is a real thing. She said the people who are willing to work with you are going to be the people that you need to spend your time with and focus on. And I and that sounds so basic, but it was so profound for me because... I'm an inventor and an entrepreneur. So my whole career has been dreaming up stuff and then figuring out how to market it and how to sell it to people. So in this situation that I'm doing now, this adventure, I'm just allowing it to unfold naturally. And people say to me, well, what do you do with the skeptics? And I said, I really don't have hardly any. And if I get one, I'll say, and somebody will say, well, I'm really skeptical. I said, well, that's appropriate. And every once in a while, I mean, very rarely I'll have somebody say, well, you need to convince me. And I'll say, no, I really don't. If you're interested in this, fine. If you're not, that's fine too. That's your prerogative. I don't really care. I mean, right. I'm, I'm nice about it, but, yeah. <laughs> but I don't need to convince anybody. I know what I know. If it's something
2: you're interested in, great. If it's not, great. Good luck with whatever you're interested in. So, right. And, and you can see the results. And then if someone comes to you and they have an open mind, um, I mean, I've talked to you know, so many people over the years and have been blown away by some and and not so much by others. And, and I've seen things that I cannot explain and, you know, but i um, I mean, personally, I'm interested in, in all of it. Um, and that's why it was just such great fortune for me that I was able to have that experience of, you know, working at, at Hay House at that particular time, right when they were launching the network. So I could take all of my radio expertise and then apply it into something that I was so interested in myself. Uh, yeah. So that, that, was really, that was really a gift there. My and friend, I learned so much.
1: My friend, Brandon Beecham, I love this, this uh, phrase that he, came, he either came up with or he stole it from somebody. If he stole it from somebody, I don't know who, who he got it, where he got it. But he says, life is the crossroads of destiny and free will that we have a destiny that we want to explore, which I agree. It's kind of like a basic script. And then there are a bazillion ways that you could explore it. To your point, you were interested in the spiritual side of the equation and you were interested in radio and it was the cross where they crossed, you know, both yeah. of those different roads. So how that's wonderful. So,
2: yeah, that's so true. I, I, li- I like that destiny. Destiny um,
1: and free will. Because,
2: yeah, because I wondered, you know, what's going to, what, maybe I didn't consciously think of it, but you know, you wonder like in radio, I mean, it, I had so much fun, you know, doing rock radio and, you know, you got to go to the Stones concert and get free stuff and it was all fun. But I mean, how, you know, how long was I going to be able to be, you know, talking about Guns and Roses or whatever and, and really care about it? The older you get, you know, you change, you become, you have different interests, you know, you, you change. And I was always interested in you know, spirituality and and metaphysics and and all of that. Like I was the kid that had the tarot cards at the slumber party, you know, and that, that kind of thing and loved ghost stories. Uh Um, So, yeah, I think I I always had that interest and then I was able to really explore it in a, in a much bigger way Um, and still continue to be interested. And yeah, I get to talk to cool people like you. It's, it's great. (laughs) Oh, thanks.
1: It's an honor to, you know, to get to talk to you. I feel like I'm, I'm in the, you know, in the presence of the guru of this medium, (laughs) because you really are. I mean, you helped create this medium, especially in this niche. So that leads into, I've recently read, there are upwards of 850,000 podcasts. I was Isn't amazed at that, that number. And and so my question is, has the advent and availability of multitudes of free prod- podcasts changed the radio broadcasting online subscription landscape? And how's this phenomenon affecting the way people get information and for that matter, entertained. We touched on that a little bit earlier, but do you, but I think it's going to go forward. I don't see any any stopping it because we're all busy. If we can get it on demand, why wouldn't right. we? Right. And if it's free, why wouldn't we take advantage of that? So. Do you have any thoughts on that to expand more on what you mentioned earlier?
2: I mean, what's I think what's going to happen, and I've already heard kind of some some rumblings on this is that you're right, like there's 800,000 podcasts out there, everybody and their brother has a podcast, should they maybe not, (laughs) you know, that's another story. But on the other hand, look, you're free to do you have that freedom, right? So it's kind of putting that. Uh, capability into anybody's hands. There's nothing, no one stopping anybody from doing a podcast. But that said, yeah, there's a glut of stuff out there. 800,000. I think I read something like, you know, 3000 a week or or keep coming on. So what, what is going to be changing is the way you find it, right? Mm -hmm. That's why having a platform, like unity is so great where people want you to curate this stuff for them so all the people that are interested in in spirituality or metaphysics are going to be looking for places to go to find it and you know google is going to be unlaunching uh, a bigger search uh, capabilities specifically for podcasts so really the next step i think is the ability to to find it and to curate it for people that have whatever you're interested in you know sports spirituality or, or whatever. So making that, uh, easier for people to get the content. And I still think like, I mean, there's a company out there called Luminary. I don't know if you've seen the ads. It's a pay per podcast, um, subscription model. And just every time I click on their ads on Facebook, I just see a lot of, uh, a lot of negativity where people are like, I'm not going to pay. There's so much great free stuff out here. Why should I pay you? Now, you might want to pay if you want them to gather that stuff for you or they have a host that you really like. But I think that there's still a lot of resistance for any more subscriptions. So I don't know. We'll see. we'll see. If it's something that I guess it was something I really wanted, I would pay for it or something really special. like Here's an exclusive Obama thing or you know some luminary or big star that you wouldn't get anywhere else if there was exclusivity. Maybe you would pay. Right. So I don't know. I think everyone's trying to figure that out. What the next, what the next step is going to be, but definitely podcasting isn't going anywhere. In fact, it's growing even more. Um, on-demand content, people want more and more of it, and the big media companies are aware of it and they're taking steps. To well,
1: and I think content too is gonna, it's gonna filter through with what people want. I think a great example is we're just coming off of the impeachment nonsense that went on in washington last week and ted cruz launched a podcast a couple of weeks ago and his podcast went to number 1 immediately i mean immediately like within a couple of days and so i thought that was really interesting how that was something people were interested in it was uh, it was a 20 minute 30 minute show it was concise here's what happened boom 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 and i thought that was really an interesting phenomenon that happened it'll be it'll be also interesting to see if he keeps having that big audience now that that impeachment thing is over and see how he retains his audience and
2: rudy giuliani started a podcast too (laughs) i have not heard it i haven't heard it
1: either i've heard cruises it's good
2: it's Is very it? good. It's interesting. Yeah, it's,
1: it's really well done. He uh, he had Lindsey Graham on. I guess it was last Friday, and I listened to that. And Lindsey Graham's just you know he's such a policy wonk, and he was hilarious. I was laughing my head off. I had no idea he, he could be a he could be a stand up comedian. It was hilarious, hilarious
2: the whole thing. That's so funny. And, and, and I think also good, um, the the level of um, You know, you're going to have people are going to have to present, you know, decent sounding audio. It's got to be a well put together um, show, you know, at least at least decent sounding audio. Uh, People don't have to listen to, um, you know, some really inferior product anymore because there's so much great content out there.
1: Right. Right. (laughs) All right. So bottom line, you've worked with some of the giants in the mind, body, spirit space. Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Christian Northrup, Carolyn Mace, James Ben Praag, to name a Prague Is that how you pronounce yes, the name James James von von Prag to name a few. So what stands out about your interactions with these icons, and are there any stories you can share that deeply touched you and perhaps even changed your life? Obviously, you mentioned earlier you worked with Wayne Dyer for ages. My goodness, that's like sitting with a saint. For eight years, you know, as far as as the information that he taught all of us, and it sounds like still is teaching us
2: from the grave in some respects. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how uh, people still like to hear those old shows with Wayne. And I, gosh, I, I could think of how much I learned over that time, and and I'm so I'm so grateful that I had that experience of being able to work with him and Louise. And first, I guess I'll start with Louise because almost daily. And I was talking to a colleague I had interviewed on my show just this week, Nancy Levin, and she was the event director at Hay House for twelve years, like the whole time that I was there. So we we worked together. And I said to her, I said to Nancy, you know, daily I say to myself, how did Louise do it? How did she start that company in her sixties and not go crazy? how, how, like I marvel. I wish I could ask her again. And I remember I did ask her that. I said, Louise, how did you do this? And she said, you know what I do? I answer the phone and I open the mail. I said, that's how you started the company. She's like, yes, I answered the phone. I opened the mail. So basically you do your tasks every day and you, you keep your vision and you keep going forward and yeah, you're going to go crazy and, all this stuff's going to come at you and challenges and everything, but she just did what she had to do every day. But I, I marvel that, you know, she had no, you know, real schooling. She was a high school dropout, um, you know, got divorced and got into the um, science of mind movement. And that's kind of how she started teaching. But, you know, like, how did you do it, Louise? So I, I learned, she was very inspiring to me. And, and in my interactions with her around the office, I mean, she did walk the walk. It, it was, she was not phony. You know, I remember one time I was, I was limping. I had this back issue at the time and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm pushing my way through the, do- the office. I'm going to do my job and I'm, I'm limping along. And she goes, you know, you're not, you're not being supported. You don't feel supported. That's why you're having back issues do this affirmation. And I thought about it. I'm like, you're right. I don't feel supported. (laughs) I don't know if that's what started it, but she, she walked the walk. I, that's the best way I could describe it. You know, she really did believe in what you think and how you speak. And, and even she would say things, you know, if you said something like, I think there was a meeting and she, someone said, kill two birds with one stone. She'd say, well, why do you want to do that? Don't say that. Or one time I said, oh, I'm dying to see that. No, you're not dying. I mean, she would always notice things like that, just in conversation. She would call you on what, how, you, how you thought about yourself and the way you said it. So The
1: languaging of it.
2: Yes, yes. Yeah. And she really believed that, you know. And she, and she was really, you know, she was so sweet. And she loved gardening and her roses and, and things like that. And just, just a real a beautiful person, a great teacher. I, I loved her a lot.
1: She's, and then how about, amazing. how about Dyer? My gosh, you know, he's kind of like the godfather of a lot of this for yeah. many of us that The father him. of motivation.
2: Well, that's what, that's what they would call him, the father of motivation. Yeah. And
1: the father of, I found that he introduced a whole lot of concepts about like talking to St. Francis of Assisi all the time. Yeah. And talked about it in his books and talked about it in his specials on PBS. And it was just like somebody talking about, uh, you know, some business thing. It was just very matter of fact and very, yeah, I talked to St. Francis all the time. And this is what he told me. He called him Francesco. And this is what he told me. And this is what I'm doing. And I think he really helped bridge that uh it makes me think of Harry Potter, you know, the name that will go unmentioned for Voldemort or whatever they right. say in Harry Potter, but he bridged that going from from the talking to spirits and getting inspiration and following that and all of that and just talked about it matter of factly and had that doctorate as well, which I think gave him some credibility that somebody yes. who grew up chanting under a crystal in a york maybe wouldn't necessarily have.
2: Well, what I noticed with Wayne that I thought was so great was if you looked at his career, kind of the trajectory, like all of his books, you know, as, as he got older and moved through his own journey and experience, he, he became more interested in, in spirit, and you know, and, and talking about those kind of things, and he wasn't afraid of it. Like he said, you know, he would he would say he talked to Saint Francis and had those kind of experiences, and he would share it with people. So he was so authentic, and he shared parts of himself, um, you know, his not his not so proud moments. I mean, he talked about a lot of things on his radio show. You know, um, drinking, uh, other other incidents in his life, you know, he was very honest. And I think that's what really resonated with people. Like they could see parts of themselves in things that he had been through. And, and he loved people. I mean, and he loved to do that show. He didn't have to, I mean, it was Wayne Dyer. He didn't have to do an online radio show every Monday, but he really loved it. He enjoyed talking with people. And, you know, there was many times he was very generous like on, on the show, if someone would call in, oh, I really want to come and see you. You know, I'm, I'm broke. I lost my job. Many times he would buy people tickets to go to his events. You know, here, take take that person's name and I'm going to pay for this. And and he did that many times. Mm-hmm. So he, he was just a good guy. And he was very funny. I don't know if people would, would know that about him. But he would make jokes, you know, sometimes really off color, you know, like in between the callers, if we had a break, you know, he, <laughs> cause we had, we had this interesting uh, relationship where, you know, he was in Maui and I was here in San Diego. So I kind of felt like I was his second banana, like his Ed McMahon in a sense, cause I would bring on the callers and then just kind of step aside. Like they don't want to talk to me. They want to talk to you. Um, so I got to just listen to his interaction and how he, how he talked to people but it was it was very it was the highlight of my week. Like every Monday I would I would really look forward to that that interaction because I would just sit back and listen to what he's telling people. Oh, yeah. And then I would share it. Like I'd be at a, a party or out with the girls or something. And I'm like, you know, Wayne said this. <laughs> like, you know, so I would I would share, you know, information, whatever um I happened to learn that week. But he he was very passionate about telling people, look, don't live. Don't live halfway, you know, follow your heart, do what you want to do. Um, you know, he, no excuses. Like he he said that in the book, excuses be gone. Uh, so he was passionate about people living their best lives. He really wanted that. So he, he was amazing.
1: <laughs> I bet. Gosh, I, I, I tease people saying you're, you're getting an executive MBA on the street. You got an executive a PhD by being his
2: cohort on that show. It sounds yeah. like and just listening in, and then yeah. al- and also I'd like to share too. I won't say what names, but I think sometimes people will tend to put a, a teacher or somebody on a pedestal as a guru and not see them as human beings. And these and these people were were fallible and and had flaws just like the rest of us. And you know there were some hosts that I work with, like one who I I won't say left their microphone on during the show and would and berated their assistant at the time. And I thought, Oh no, I like, I I listened for a couple of seconds and I realized what was happening and I kind of pulled it down. So I wouldn't hear it, but I thought, Oh, if people saw that side, they, they might not, you know, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't think the same way, but, but I guess not, and not to say anything negative about that particular person, they were just having that human moment, you know, but I think sometimes people will put, put someone up on a pedestal or think that they're not human when, when they are, mm-hmm. obviously. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Right. Well,
1: certainly I work as a psychic and medical intuitive, and, and in, in recent years it's become more expected or accepted, excuse me, even the Vatican issued a letter to its bishops a few years ago encouraging them to welcome psychics and healers in their parishes, which was a huge step. I really? Oh, and, I didn't uh, know yeah, that. Yeah, in 2016. If you go on my Instagram feed at Ask Julie Ryan, you'll see a link to the letter. Um, so from your vantage point, do you see spirituality becoming more mainstream and accessible uh, over the years that you've
2: been in this business? Oh that's interesting. I think in some ways it has, but what's kind of disturbing is I think in, in in some other ways the pendulum's even we're kind of moving backwards. I think sometimes people are are very um strident in their my view is the right way and you know you have to believe this um or or you're going to hell or that kind of thing. Like I don't like any of that fear-based um belief systems. Um, I I hope that there's, I mean, one one great thing that I've learned from Unity is to really see the value and the beauty in the wisdom of all spiritual traditions. I went to an event with Unity uh, two years ago called the Parliament of World Religions, and it was over 200 faith traditions in Toronto. And I did um, interviews there, and I put together like a a little two-part radio show of my experience there. And I spoke to Buddhists, Wiccans, Pagans, Native Americans, channelers, Episcopals, everything. And really what I learned when I came away from that was like, you know what? Pick one, whatever speaks to you. I think that that source that Wayne talked about so much is available to all of us and it's love. And, and, and that's what he would say all the time. So like, I don't know. I, I want everybody like, we're all one. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of truth in that but I I do think with the availability of information out there that that yeah hopefully people will explore that part of themselves. I think we all have a spiritual nature. I think we're all intuitive, some more than others like yourself. You know, I think it's a muscle that you can build. I think right. some people are really gifted like musical ability, but we all have that intuitive ability. I I try to tune in and listen to it all the time and sometimes I get angry if I don't hear that voice but I know right. it's there. So I I try to cultivate that, you know, and you can do that with meditation. And, you know, I I'm, I won't say I'm a master meditator, you know, so I'm working on it, but I try to get quiet and and listen, you know, just take a minute. And and that source is available to all of us.
1: Well, when you were talking about the religions at that conference in Toronto, it made me think about my book, Angelic Attendance. And I, <laughs> one of my... Well, my main spirit guides is dead Pope, Clement VI, who showed up and about 10 years ago. And he said, you know, you just need to teach the world about what happens when people die because it's been so bastardized and it's, you know, religions and, and cultures and it's just wrong and people are so afraid and it's crazy. And I said to him, I'm not doing that. I'm a businesswoman. People are going to think I'm nuts. I'm not doing that. And He's like, yeah, whatever, just go do it. And then I Googled him and uh, found out that he was in office during the bubonic plague when two-thirds of Europe died and is best known for his prayers for the dying and his prayers for the dead. I never even heard of a Pope Clement, ever. And I said to him, Pope Clement? I never heard of a Pope Clement. He said, well, I was number six. So I Googled him, and that's what I found out. And I thought, okay, Ryan, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, (laughs) really. But, But the interesting thing that has come about with that book is my church gives it to every family that comes in that's planning a funeral. It's being used in Sunday school classes around the country by all kinds of different religions and denominations, including synagogues. I did not see that coming at all. Wow. That's great. And, and it's, I have so many people say, Oh my gosh, that book has helped me get through my whoever's death, you know, my mother, my husband, my whatever. And, and I, I have given it as a gift. To so many people, I even have people say, I give it as a funeral gift, which sounds really, you know, maudlin and morbid and morbid, but they say it just brings so much comfort. So the, I say the prodding from a dead Pope and our mutual friend, Katie Coons, who was my editor, she says, you don't want to piss off a Pope dead or alive. (laughs) No, definitely not. (laughs) So she's great. um, yeah, no I a, I
2: love I love what you're saying and I and I feel really strongly about that as well because what you're doing is helping to take the the fear and demystifying what should be a natural and and what could be a beautiful process but unfortunately I think in this country a lot of times it's not um I mean even with with my own mother when she was going through her her transition. I mean, I thought the hospice people were like angels, you know, they, they tried to make it as easy an experience as possible. And I I don't think we should have so much fear around that, you know, so what you're doing is so important.
1: Well, and it crosses, my point is it crosses all religious and cultural and, and educational demographics. It's just universal. Like, at that conference that you went to in Toronto, it's the same thing. It's all the same source. It's all the same God. It's all
2: the same thing. That's exactly it. That's, that was the main thing I took away from and just, it happened to be like some of these people related with, uh, the Wiccans and mother earth. And they felt that that was what resonated with them. And then, you know, there was Buddhist and six and, uh, yeah, it, it was awesome. It was like a buffet of <laughs> like, a buffet all of this
1: psychicness. Great, that's what I say yeah. I do. I'm a buffet of <laughs> psychicness. So we have a minute left. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me this week and everybody that's listening. Oh, thank you. Um Diane has a show on Unity Radio. You tell everybody your your website, but take us out with your dj voice like give us all how people can find out about you but i want you to do it in your
2: dj voice okay i'll try and do it as uh as quickly succinctly as possible so join me on wednesdays uh, one o'clock pacific three central four eastern for be present the diane ray show on UnityRadio.org.
1: and how can people find more information about you
2: oh about me specifically you can go to my website, which is dianeraymedia.com. You can also find me on Instagram at dianeray66, on Twitter, ray one on Facebook, Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. I'm, I'm everywhere. But I do hope you give me a listen. I try to share wonderful information from people like Julie and other great teachers and speakers and writers and whoever I find interesting that, that strikes me. <laughs> and I have them on the show. So it's, it's a lot of fun.
1: Terrific. Well, thanks so much. Everybody, I'll be back next week with a live show, and I hope your week is terrific. And Diane, big hugs and kisses. Everybody, lots of love. Take care. Till next time.
0: Bye bye. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan, and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit askjulieryan.com.